Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, I want to start by uh, saying a word of prayer. Uh, I found out just a few minutes ago that Mary Gatucha uh, found out that her sister passed away last night. And uh, Mary's one of our uh, love members here, works in the nursery. And so she and her daughter, Anaya, her granddaughter, Anaya, uh, took off uh, to go and, and spend some time with family. And so I want to start by just praying for them. And if you would, please join me in prayer uh, during the week for them and their family. God, we lift up to you the Gatucha family. God, we love Mary, Shirley, and Anaya. And so we lift them up to you right now, God. We pray that your comfort, your peace would be upon them. God, for all those in our congregation uh, who have lost a loved one, for all those who are hurting right now, we lift them up to you, God. We pray that you would be with us, that you would be our comfort and our guide in this time. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we are working our way through a series uh, called uh, Growing Up in Christ, and uh, this is our last week through going through the book of Ephesians. We're going to be talking about chapter 6. And uh, we did sneak a little bit into the end of, or the beginning of chapter 6 last week, uh, and so we're going to finish out the rest of the chapter. And I want to let you know that next week, John Mark and I are starting a new uh, four-week series called Where the Wild Things Are, which is uh, titled after the children's book, Where the Wild Things Are. And uh, it's a series that we're going to be talking about how to be good neighbors. Uh, and uh, so I hope you see, hopefully, the irony in the title. Uh, hopefully our neighbors aren't truly the wild things. And I want to let you know, I'm excited about this series. Uh, I, I'm excited to learn what it means to be a good neighbor and to put that into practice. My wife and I just bought a new house and we moved, and so we don't know any of our neighbors. So uh, I'm going to be putting, hopefully, putting this uh, into practice as we're going, and I encourage you to get excited with me. And uh, maybe you've lived in the same place for years and years, and you're great friends with your neighbors. Uh, but I'm excited about getting to talk about what it means to be a good neighbor, uh, not only to people that we live nearby, but to the people that we encounter every day. So I hope you'll get excited with John Mark and I as we preach that. Uh, series here starting next week. Uh, but this week we are going to finish out chapter 6, and so uh, I want to let you know we're going to uh, take the, the end of this chapter just kind of little bit by little bit and work our way through. Uh, and so we're going to uh, read a little bit and then stop and talk and read a little bit more, stop and talk, and on and on uh, through the rest of the chapter. And so please join me if you've got a Bible. Uh, feel free to turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we'll start reading in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and His powerful strength. Put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. Okay, so uh, right off the bat, uh, if you're like me, we read this passage, and uh, it, it strikes us a little bit odd, uh, or at least it does for me. Uh, because this is not quite the world that I'm used to. It's not quite the world that I live in and that I talk about from time to time. Uh, I, I usually don't go around talking about uh, the forces of cosmic evil uh, in the world. I don't know, maybe you do, uh, but it's not my regular language. Uh, and as you think about these kinds of passages, uh, it's really important for us to go ahead and, and be uh, aware of and upfront uh, that we're coming to this passage at a very different time and place than those who read this passage. In fact, for most of human history, people would read this passage uh, and it would be kind of a no-brainer. Uh, it'd be kind of, uh, everybody would agree and understand what Paul is talking about when he writes these, these kind of bizarre words to us. Uh, but but they, they really aren't bizarre because uh, for, for all of human history, except for maybe the last hundred or so years, uh, this is the way that the world talked about things. Uh, that there are simply things beyond our control. That there are simply things that, that we can't describe, that we can't explain, uh, and there are forces at work in the world. Uh, and for the past, you know, maybe 50, 60, 70 years, uh, we have spent a lot of time, uh, maybe not you specifically, maybe not me specifically, but 
in our society, we spend a lot of time trying to explain things, uh, trying to understand them and, and grasp them. And we've done a really good job. And so this is why this is kind of difficult maybe for us to understand and for us to, to hear, is because this isn't something normal for us. We're used to a world of, of explanation. Uh, there's, no, there's no real uh, you know, magic in the world. Uh, the world has been kind of demythologized. Uh, everything around us has an explanation. And we can figure it out. We can find out what things mean. But not so for the people who read this passage. Not so for the Ephesian, Ephesian church. Uh, you know, as I got to think about this, I, I got to think about what are some of the things that we are blessed with uh, in, in our more recent modern history that explains some things away. Uh, and I thought, you know, what's more perfect than the example of the iPhone? Uh, who has an iPhone uh, here today? Anybody? Uh, yeah, uh, like 75% of us have an iPhone. Uh, the great thing about an iPhone uh, is that you have anything that you need at your fingertips. Uh, and the bad thing about an iPhone is that you have anything that you need at your fingertips. Uh, but we have things like iPhones. We have uh, Netflix. Uh, any Netflix subscribers in the audience? Yeah. Uh, maybe not as many, but still quite a few. Uh, we're able to just kind of entertain ourselves and watch whatever we want, uh, whenever we want. Uh, we have uh, things uh, soon called self-driving cars. I'm excited. Uh, I hate driving. I uh, can't wait to be reading while I'm driving. Uh, self-driving cars are coming out. Uh, we have air conditioning, uh, or at least we will soon. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, our, the world that we live in is a little bit different, maybe, than the people who originally heard this. Uh, and we have to be kind of honest and upfront about that. We live in a world today uh, where it's a challenge, perhaps, for us to hear these words, that there are forces beyond our control at work in the world. But I think that what, what we can do today is that we can listen to this passage and that we can try to learn something, try to understand something about the way the world works, something that maybe we've forgotten or has been lost along the way. In fact, I, I read a study as I was kind of getting ready for this by the Barter Group, a group of researchers who asked questions about faith uh, and interviewed people to find out. And they interviewed uh, close to 2,000 people, not about this passage specifically, but something that this passage talks about. Uh, and that's whether or not you believe that the person of Satan is a real person. Is there a literal devil? Uh, and they interviewed almost 2,000 people, and what they found is that 6 out of 10 people responded, no. They don't think that there's a real person called the devil or Satan. Uh, they found that another 8% of that group uh, said they really weren't sure. So that's close to 70% of people who, who would read a passage like this, and they would kind of shrug it off and say, no, I don't think that that's really the way that the world works anymore. Now, in this room today, we probably have people who are on either end of that spectrum who might say, yeah, of course, Satan is a real person, of course the devil is a real being, and we might have people on the other end who say, no, this is a personification, it's, it's something that we can kind of explain and understand in our world differently than they understood. And no matter where you fall, I hope that what we can do today is that we can understand and learn something from what Paul is talking about here, because if we, uh, if we pay attention, what Paul has to say to us is actually, I think, really important. Uh, okay, so we all, uh, well, maybe not we all, but many of us can look at the world around us and understand uh, that what one thing that we can understand from this passage that we all can agree on is that there's something wrong with the world. That, that's part of our story. That's one of the core tenets of our, of our faith is that there is something wrong with the world, that there is sin, that there is death, that there is evil around us. And we look around and we see that this is not what God had created. This is not what God had intended. And so, maybe for those of us who, who uh, hear this passage and who kind of struggle to understand what it, what it means and whether or not there are really forces of evil and cosmic darkness out there, we can grasp and understand that the world is not operating the way that God intended. The way the world is today is not what God wants for the future. And notice what Paul says about this. 
Because Paul, uh, later in the chapter, is going to say something that he's actually repeated several times uh, throughout, this, uh, throughout the whole book. He's going to say that he's in chains for the sake of the gospel. He's imprisoned for this. And I think that that's a really important way for us to understand when Paul's talking about evil. Uh, Paul's writing is not from a position, not from a place uh, where it's, it's an idea out there. But for Paul, this is something that he's experiencing in that very moment. Paul has been wrongfully imprisoned. Paul is going before courts and before leaders and rulers trying uh, to save his own life. And he's in chains. He says he's in chains for the sake of the gospel. So when Paul writes about the forces of evil, Paul knows and understands what those forces are all too well. In fact, uh, I I find it interesting. Let's look again just for a quick second at verse 12 uh, and pay really close attention to what he says. He says, we're not fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. Paul says he's not fighting against human beings, which I think is something that I can learn a lot from. Because in Paul's situation, when he's in prison, when he's in chains, when he's under guard, He's got faces that are right in front of him, of people who are opposed to him, of people who are trying to keep him uh, from being able to do the work that God has called him to do. There are people uh, that, whose faces and names he can see and who he can call them by name. And Paul says, it's not humans that are my enemy, but there's a, another enemy out there, the rulers and authorities, the kingdoms of the world. There's another evil out there, the, the powers of cosmic darkness and, and of spiritual evil in the heavens. And I find it so interesting that Paul looks around and he sees uh, the situation that he's in and he understands that, that things aren't going the way that he intended for them. And they're not going the way that he thought maybe that God had intended for them. And he looks around at his situation and he says, it's not human beings who are my enemy. It's this force called evil with a capital B. Uh, for those of us who, who maybe struggle uh, to understand uh, this kind of passage, for those of us who maybe are grasping to try and understand this, this worldview where, where you know, there's forces of evil and maybe a person called Satan or the devil, uh, I found a really helpful quote, and, and maybe this can help you understand maybe what Paul is trying to, trying to get us to see here. Uh, this is a quote from Richard Beck, who's a, a, a lay theologian and a psychologist at Abilene Christian University. He says, biblically, Satan names that which is working against God or God's kingdom in the world. When you look at, at the whole of scripture and you, and you find uh, th- this type of information, the, the, who, who is the Satan? Who is the adversary? Who is the one that Kavion was talking about during his meditation? Who is this? It's the person, it's the thing that works against God in the world. And so for those of us who, who don't struggle to, to name Satan, to name this, this person, this, the devil, we can understand that that person is working against God's purposes. For those of us who maybe struggle to, to identify that or, or to say that that person is a real thing, uh, who, who look at the world and see it as, a, as explained and quantifiable, you can see that there are forces at work in the world that work against God's purposes. The kingdoms of this world, the rulers and authorities, the forces of cosmic darkness and of spiritual evil. Paul is adamant that our enemy is not against flesh and blood, but it's against this capital E, evil. That there are things in this world beyond our control, and yet we are working to bring God's kingdom to this place and this time. And Paul is so adamant about it that he's going to go on and continue his description of what we ought to do as people who are growing up in Christ. And he continues in verse 13. He says, therefore, there's our word again that we 
brought attention to in the past couple of weeks. Therefore, pick up the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground on the evil day and after you have done everything possible to still stand. So stand with the belt of truth around your waist, justice as your breastplate, and put shoes on your feet so that you are ready to spread the good news of peace. Above all, carry the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. For Paul, this is a lifelong battle. That the, the forces of the evil that are beyond our control, the things that we can look around in our world and see that aren't the way that God intended for them to be. Paul says this is a lifelong battle. And we have the opportunity to put on the clothing of Christ, to put on the life of Christ, and, and to fight against evil. For the day is coming when evil will take its very best shot. And Paul urges this church in Ephesus, he says, On that day, it is my prayer and my hope that you will still stand. That you will be able to stand against evil. That instead of fighting it with the conventional method of taking up arms and destroying or, 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 or taking on the forces of evil head on, that you'll instead be able to overcome them because you have put on the life of Christ. You have put on the clothing of Christ. You have girded yourself with the belt of truth. You've put on the breastplate of justice, the footwear of peace. That you've put on the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith. That you're carrying the sword of the Spirit in Christ. Paul says that this is the way that you ought to live. Not fighting battles in the same way that, that evil fights. Not trying to destroy, but instead becoming like Christ. See, these aren't weapons that will win you a battle or a war, but they are weapons that will help you look more and more like Jesus. Things that will help you live and inhabit the life of Christ. That you'll be able to, to buckle up with truth whenever evil comes your way. That you'll be ready to beat against your breast, working and calling for justice in the world. That you'll be able to carry peace everywhere that your feet take you. That you'll be able to protect the faithfulness of Christ and the, and the faith of the church and of the believers from the tricks and snares of evil. That you'll be covered from your head down in salvation and grace. And that you will bear God's own spirit as it's revealed to you in the word of God in Christ. This is Paul's call for us to continue to grow up, to continue to mature, to continue to look like believers in Jesus. And I think this is a really important way for Paul to finish this letter. Because he concludes this letter by telling them to put on the building of Christ, to put on this type of armor. Because the day is coming. The day of evil. And when it comes, it is Paul's sincere hope that we will be ready to stand against it. And for Paul, this has extra significance. Because Paul writes this from a jail cell. He writes it under guard in Rome. Where there is not, there's not a surety that he has that he'll make it out of that. For Paul, he writes this letter urging this congregation, these people that he spent time with and cares for, sharing the gospel with them, urging them that what they need to do is to mature. Because Paul's not certain that he'll be there to help them much longer. That they need to grow up in Christ. Because Paul won't be there forever. He might not even be there for much longer. He's in a jail cell appealing to Rome. And he wants to make sure that when he's gone, and that when they encounter evil, opposition, and ridicule, that they'll be ready to stand against it.
and stand for the kingdom of God. He goes on in verse 18 and he encourages them to do one more thing. Let's read in verse 18. He says, offer prayers and petitions in the spirit all the time. Stay alert by hanging in there and praying for all believers. As for me, pray that when I open my mouth, that I will get a message that confidently makes this secret plan of the gospel known. For I'm an ambassador in chains for the sake of the gospel. Pray so that the Lord will give me the confidence to say what I have to say. Paul says, one more thing. Pray. 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 Four times he says it in this short little passage. Continue to pray and offer petitions because he knows that their prayers will be heard and that their prayers are important. Notice uh, that when you look at the armor that he's just described, that the armor seems to cover every part of the body, except for one, the back. The armor doesn't cover the back. I think for Paul, he believes that the prayers of fellow believers as they stand side by side is what continue to keep them safe from attack from behind. That this isn't a solo opportunity for us to, to mature on our own, but instead Paul is calling us as a community, as a group of people, to stand side by side, to withstand against evil, and to stand together protecting one another in prayer. And for Paul, he concludes this letter by saying that this is what the church does. That is one body who finds themselves identified in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, that they stand together, praying for one another, and bearing each other's burdens, protecting one another, and keeping each other, and urging each other in the faith. Paul concludes this letter by saying that the armor of God is what will help us become like Christ. That putting on the clothing of Jesus means that we have things to do. Things to put on. Ways that we can mature in our faith. And for Paul, the church is the place where we can battle with sin and death and evil. Not the place that we battle against one another, but the place where we battle the forces that are beyond our control. And the church is the place where we are encouraged to live faithfully. Where we are urged on by one another and where we are protected through the prayers of the brothers and sisters. Eugene Peterson says it this way, Church is the gift of a community of Christians in which we rehearse and orient ourselves in the practice of resurrection. It's never an abstraction. It's never anonymous. It's never a problem to be fixed. And it's never a romantic ideal to be fantasized. The rehearsal and the orientation take place in various ways, but never apart from conversations between God, who reveals himself in Jesus, and between named men and women. You and I, for a start. His point is that this is what it means to be a community who are growing in Christ. That we do it together, side by side, protecting one another, praying for one another, and girding ourselves up and ready to stand against evil on the day that it comes. And so Paul prays for this Ephesian church. He writes to this Ephesian church, urging them to put on the clothing of Christ. To become like Jesus. To stand fully mature on the day of evil. In our world today, there are plenty of opportunities for us to see evil at work. There are plenty of opportunities for us to look around us and see that things are not the way that God intended for them to be. 
Part of our job as community, part of our job as the church, is to withstand against the evil in our world. And to stand for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. Part of what it means to be a community is that we bear each other's burdens, that we lift one another up in prayer. And so today, as we conclude our, our time, we're going to spend a moment in communal prayer. And I've got a handful of folks who have agreed to have, come and help me lead this prayer. And what I'd like for you to do as we say this prayer is, is to join in with your own prayer. Perhaps there's a moment where something that we say will, will spur you on to think of something, or perhaps there's something that, that we won't say that you know is something evil in our world that we need to stand against. So as we lead this communal prayer, it is my prayer that you will join us in praying against evil and praying for the kingdom of God to come on earth. If you're going to help us with the prayer, would you please come? And if you're not helping with the prayer, would I, uh, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. Uh, I'd like you to stand if you're able to during this prayer as a symbol of our standing against evil in this world. Uh, if you're not able to stand, uh, perhaps what you can do is, is simply hold your palms open uh, up towards heaven and pray that God would speak these words through you as we pray together. Our loving, caring, and generous God, we join together as a congregation today seeking to listen to your words. We seek not only to listen, but to obey, to turn control of our lives over to you in trust, trusting that you will not let us down and not turn away from us, trusting that you will bring justice and fairness to our world, trusting that you will heal what is broken. And today, God, we stand against the evil in this world and the evil in our own hearts, and we seek to bring about your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Here are our prayers. Father, we pray against the nationalism that prevents us from seeing our neighbors around the world as brothers and sisters made in your image. We pray against cruelty done to men and women of different nationalities. We pray for our hearts to be moved that our love of country and fellow Americans would lead us to a love that Jesus exhibited for others, even foreigners. We pray against racism and hatred of the other. We pray for our hearts to be moved to seek to understand and to love rather than to divide and to injure. We pray against our own sinfulness, against our own selfishness, against our idolatry. We pray for our hearts to be moved to repent, to look and return back to you and to seek your will so that our lives may be examples of the love of Jesus. We pray against violence and evil done in your name. We pray for our hearts to feel compassion and for us to seek peace between the brothers and sons and daughters of your creation in every place. We pray against the consumeristic mentality that asks us to take and take and never to give. We pray for our hearts to be moved to give freely and openly, not only for the sake of others, but for our own as well. We pray against the cruelties of the criminal justice system. We pray that we might find ways of seeking both mercy and justice in ways that are fair and equal. Give us your discerning spirit, God. We pray against sexism, the unfair treatment and perceptions against women that appear all too often. 
We pray that all eyes are open and that women can be seen and treated as equals in God's kingdom. That we can all work together and be kind, no matter who we are. Lord, we pray against words spoken harshly, out of anger, pride, or malice. We pray that you would bless us so that we not become a people, a sniff-necked people with unclean lips. We pray that your blessing upon our words to others would build up rather than tear down. We pray against the exploitation of our brothers and sisters who are impoverished both domestically and around the world. We pray for our hearts to be moved, that we will be compelled to take care of one another and to bear one another's burdens. Father God, for all these things and for so much more, for the evil that we see around us, for the evil in our own hearts, God, we pray. We stand united with you, Father, Son, and Spirit, united as a community. We pray that you would be with us. We pray that you would guide us. God, lead us to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today we stand against evil in our world. We're going to continue to stand uh, here in just a moment. We're going to continue singing. Uh, if there's something that was spurring in your heart during this time, if there's something that was unsaid, something that you would like to spend time praying for, I invite you to gather with our elders and their wives around the room. If there's an opportunity that you are feeling led right now in your own heart to join uh, and put on the clothing of Christ in baptism, I invite you to come and spend some time praying with me and talking with me. Please join us as we stand and sing. 